Good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you again. If you were here at the top of the service, welcome. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors. It's so good to be with you today. Uh, we are going to go to time of uh, teaching, but uh, contrary to what uh, Lauren just said, I do have an announcement. So, uh, yeah, I know. It's like, you know. Um, but, uh, hey, if you were here last week, uh, we asked you to be praying for us because we're trying to figure out as a leadership team and the elder board uh, how to respond to the to kind of recent changes in mask policy here in L.A. And I just want to thank you for, for those of you who prayed for us this week. We feel like we've got some direction on that. And, and uh, just to, uh, to, to kind of um, give some context, uh, a lot of you, you may remember that back in May, not this May, but a year ago May, right, when kind of COVID was still uh, sort of fresh, uh, that I did a message called Christ, COVID, in the church. And in that message, I laid out five principles. And I said, these principles will, will carry us all the way through this crisis, no matter how long it lasts. And the first one was to choose wisdom. We want to choose a path of wisdom. And the second one was to always seek first the kingdom, what best advances the kingdom. And so as we've been uh, praying about that this week, seeking the Lord, uh, we feel like the best way to seek wisdom, the best way to advance the kingdom right now is to continue on, kind of keep on the same path that we've, we're, we're on, to not to, to change it, uh, any mask regulations here at Rocky Peak. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, some of you are probably excited. Some of you probably will be emailing me, but whatever. Uh, I've taken it from both sides this year. So it's an e- equal opportunity target. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, what we're going to do is continue on with our current strategy. We want to be able to serve everyone at Rocky Peak. That's why we'll continue to provide a variety of uh, ways to participate with us. And so if you're more comfortable online, we'll continue that. If you're more comfortable outside in the patio, we'll continue that. And then we'll continue meeting here in person too. And of course, if you want to wear a mask in here, that's certainly fine. We encourage you to do that if you want to. Um, and so we just want to kind of have freedom in, in here. Uh, the, the one thing that I would say, though, uh, is just kind of remind you uh, that, that uh, if we're going to be in public space together and you're feeling not well, you have a cold, you're coming out with the flu or something like that, or even in your, your kids with kids ministry, we just ask that just for the sake of the body that you would just kind of participate outside or online, but don't bring your kids to kids ministry if, they, if they're not healthy, because we're just trying to keep a healthy church one of the ways we love one another. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go into our time of teaching now. So if you haven't already done so, inside your program is a message note sheet. It's green and white, and it'll definitely be helpful. For those of you who are joining us online uh, there, whether it's on YouTube or a, a other church platform, you could just kind of click up on, on one of those uh, uh, options above and kind of download that whichever way you'd like to use it. But we'll, we'll, uh, if you're all ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. And God, we're just excited to be here as your church and your place and pursuing you with a whole heart. Now, last week we talked about passion and how we've been created to live a life of passion and that of all our passions, that you are to be our number one passion and today, Lord, as we come to this next topic of freedom and your vision for our lives, to so set us free to be the people you created us to be, we pray that you would help us to have ears to hear what your spirit would say to each of us in a very personal way, kind of what our next steps are in this path to freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today once again in the fall, and uh, he's excited because um, every year since the time he's been a little boy, He's made this annual trek in the fall uh, to head to the capital city to celebrate with his family and friends this, this national holiday. 
And it's one of his favorite times of the year because it's a time when, when the, the, the warm weather, the, the heat of summer is beginning to fade. And especially in the capitals, it's an elevation, it's a mountain town, that especially there, the, the cool breezes of autumn begin to blow. But this week, as he comes to the capital with his family and friends for this great reunion, uh, the highlight of the week is not the normal sights and sounds of the city. It's not the traditions that have meant so much to him over the years. But the highlight for him has, has been the teaching of this new, kind of young, kind of controversial leader that has taken the country by storm. And over the course of the week, he's had several opportunities to sit in and listen to this, this man speak, to listen to his talks, to listen to his messages. And he, he, he started the week um, kind of in, in a spot of skepticism. But as the week has gone on, he's found himself moon, moving to a place of openness, even curiosity. And just this morning, as he listened to him again, in a way that he can hardly explain, he feels himself drawn to this leader. He finds himself crossing this invisible line between openness or what was once disbelief, crossing over to belief. But he keeps wondering, what does it mean to believe? This young leader keeps talking about believing in me. But what does it mean to believe? What will it look like to believe? How it will affect my life, my family? How do I walk that out? And what he doesn't know is within about an hour, he's going to have the answer to those questions. Well, today we're continuing this journey that we've been on now for about the last six months. And for those who are brand new, I just want to welcome you. Uh, this is a, a series that's called Signs, a Path to Life. And, and this is a series about Jesus. It's an in-depth look at the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, a man that we call John or the Apostle John, who near the end of his life writes his firsthand account of uh, firsthand experience with the life and teaching of Jesus. He traveled with him over a period of two or three years. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we, we've watched his... Uh, in chapter 7 of John's Gospel, that, that Jesus uh, has traveled from the north of the country, from the Galilee, where he's grown up, where his headquarters for his ministry, he's traveled about, a, you know, almost 100 miles south to the capital city of Jerusalem to celebrate one of the three great annual pilgrim feasts, where the city is packed with pilgrims. This one is called the Feast of Tabernacles. It happens in the fall, usually around October. And, uh, and so... If, uh, what we, as he's been there this week, Jesus, of course, has been teaching every day or many days in the large temple courts. And he's been making these huge claims about who he is and why he's come. And uh, as a result, people are divided over him. In fact, the leaders, they, they think he's danger, public en- enemy number one, and they're, they're, they've even tried to arrest him unsuccessfully. The people are extremely divided. Some see him as a, a good man. Some even see him as the Messiah, uh, but others see him as a bad man, as even a false prophet. And so uh, today we're going to pick up where we left off last week. That as Jesus was teaching last week, John told us that many in the crowd, after this most recent teaching, crossed over the line and began to believe in Jesus. But the question is, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And so uh, if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up. Let's turn on. Let's go to uh, John chapter 8. 
We're going to pick it up at verse 30, which is where we left off last week. Amen. So in John chapter 30, uh, even as he spoke, even as Jesus spoke, many believed in him. Now, I want you to underline that word, they believed in him. That's the question, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? You know, we, we started the day with this story about this young man who's traveled once again to the capital city in the fall of the year to celebrate this great reunion with his family and friends. But this year, the highlight has not been the traditional sights and sounds of the city or even the traditions that they celebrate, but it's been this sitting in uh, to listen to this young, controversial leader who's taken the, the nation by storm. And, and this is kind of my version, kind of historical fiction, if you will, of, of kind of one of the men in the crowd. And today, John says, that as, he, as he was teaching, many, many uh, believed in him. Many of his people would have traveled great distance to be here for the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'm sure that for many of them, their story would be like the story I told about this hypothetical young man. That they had come, they've been listening all week. They've had different opinions as time has gone on, but they've, for, for John says, for many of them, they slowly have made this move from maybe skepticism to curiosity to openness and then all the way to belief. But the question is, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? All through this gospel, Jesus has talked about those who believe have life, but what does it mean to believe and that's the question that Jesus is going to answer today. And so in verse 31, it says, to the Jews who had believed in him. So underline that name, that believed in him, right? So he's, he's talking to these Jews that John just said had come to believe in him. And this is what he says, if you hold to my teaching, and we'll come back to that later, but if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So how do you know if you're a, a true believer, you know, how do you know if you're really a disciple of Jesus, what we'd call a Christ follower today? And Jesus says, what well, has to do with holding on to my teaching? And what does he mean by that? We'll come back to that. He says, but then if you hold on to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Say free. Now, this is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, isn't it? It's been used and misused <laughs> by... Pastors, by priests, by politicians, and many others that I will not name. <laughs> but you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what does Jesus mean by that? We'll come back. And so when Jesus raises this issue to this crowd of Jews who have just believed in him, when he raises this issue, he says, I've come to, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This begins to push some buttons in their life because as Jewish people in the first century, uh, as we'll see, they, they often saw themselves as free. Now, the irony is, is that the nation of Israel had spent many more years under being conquered as slaves in bondage than they ever had as free. But, but in a spiritual sense, at least for many of the rabbis, they saw themselves, but we're the people of God. We're, we're yeah, yeah, okay, we're, you know, we may be here under subjugation, but we're really like free. And when the kingdom comes, everyone is see the freedom that we truly have. And so when Jesus says that, 
that if you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, it's like it's implying that they're not free. It's implying that they're in slavery and they're not going to like that. They're going to push back on that. And so they answered to him, wait a second, we're Abraham's descendants. We're, we're Jews. We've never been slaves of anyone. Now, this is funny because this was a nation that was birthed in slavery, right? They were slaves in Egypt, right? And then they were in the, they were in the promised land, you know, depending on north or south, maybe 700 years or so, and uh, where they were actually free, uh, at least part of those years. Um, but then they were conquered by Assyria in 722 BC in the north. Then they were conquered by Babylon 586 in the south. They were taken away from their homelands. They were put into slavery. And that ever since then, they were always under, almost always under subjugation. There was a short time when they weren't. But uh, after Babylon, it was Persia. And after Persia, uh, it was the Greeks, Alexander the Great. And after, after, the, after the Greeks, it was Egypt again, and the Ptolemies. And under, after Egypt, it was Syria again. And then right now, it's Rome. And yet they say, uh, <laughs> they say, we are, we've never been slaves of anyone. All right, talking about head in the sand. All right, so... Jesus says, no, 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 I'm talking about a different kind of slavery. He says, very truly, remember that in the Greek is that amen, amen. Uh, whatever Jesus says this when he's about to say something very important. He doesn't want you to miss. He says, everyone who sins is a what? Slave, slave of sin, right? Because we, we come under this condemnation, uh, under judgment from God for our rebellion against the king. We, we come under the power of sin. It's magnetic power that pulls us to the dark side that's always destructive. And so he says, I, I tell you that everyone who sins. But now working off this analogy of, of slavery, uh, he says, now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. Like if you're, if you're a Jewish household, you're a Roman household, and you have a slave, um, they, they don't have a permanent place there. There's no organic tie to the family. They can be sold at will. He says, but a son, that's different. If you're, if you're a son in a family, then you have this organic tie. You'll always be a son. Uh, and now he says, but if the son, notice capital S, talking about if the ultimate son, remember Jesus always presents himself as the son of the father. He said, if the, if the, if the ultimate son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So Jesus says that this is why I've come to set people free. And we'll come back to that. He says, so I know that you're Abraham's descendants, you're Jews, but you are, at least some of you, are looking for a way to kill me. Remember, the crowd's very divided. And the reason is because you have no room uh, for my word. So this is interesting. He starts talking out to believers and he says, hey, um, if you hold on to my word, then you'll know the truth, the truth set you free. But by the end of the conversation, he says that you have no place for my word in your life. You're, you're believers, but you have no place for my word. We'll come back to that. And he said, I, I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you've heard from your father. And so he raises this issue of fatherhood in their life, and next week we'll delve into that. But for today, I want to stop here today. And I want to zoom in, fo focus on, highlight this key teaching of Jesus that where he says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
And I want to talk today about what does it mean to be a true believer in Jesus, according to Jesus, um, and then come back at the end. We're going to have a couple principles about that, and then come back at the end and ask kind of one pertinent, kind of, uh, kind of a, a pressing, provoking question. All right, so here we go. There in your note sheet, the signs, the, pro- uh, the promise, freedom. All right, so two principles. So the first principle goes like this, that real faith leads to following. Or if you, if you like the word true, true faith, I, I really debated which word to use. I kind of like them both. They have a little bit different connotations. But real faith or true faith leads to following. Now, this is interesting. This is a very interesting passage because and scholars actually struggle with this passage, not because of the main thing Jesus is saying that we're going to look at about You'll know the truth. They don't struggle with that. What they struggle with is who is Jesus talking to in this passage? Who is he addressing? Because he starts off there, you notice on your note sheet, he starts off there in John 30, even as he spoke, many what? Believed in him. uh, And to the Jews who had believed in him, right? So, So John sets this up that Jesus is addressing those who had believed in him. And yet, as we go through the passage, it doesn't sound like anyone's believing in Jesus. The first thing he starts talking about is setting them free, and they start pushing back right away. What do you mean free? We're Jews. We're not not slaves of anyone. You know, we're the chosen race. And, And then by the end of the conversation, this short little conversation, he says, hey, the, the problem is you don't have any room for my word in your life. You're out to kill me. And so, and so are they believers or are they enemies? Like, like who, who are we talking to? And so trying to solve this, some scholars have, have suggested that maybe what's going on is that Jesus is speaking to a mixed crowd, which makes a lot of sense. He's talking to the believers. If you, to the, you, know, if, if you hold on to my word, then you'll know the truth. But there's also lots of non-believers. In fact, there's some who are there who are out to arrest him and kill him. And, and so he's kind of talking to two different crowds at the same time. And that very, may very well be the case. The challenge with that point of view is that there's nothing in the text to, to suggest that he's ever changed audiences. You know, it's just to the believers. To the believers. It just sounds like he's talking to believers. But however we resolve that question... The one thing is clear is that what Jesus is doing as he talks to these new, quote, believers, is he's helping them to understand what does it mean to be a true believer? What does it mean to be what we would call, uh, what Jesus calls a disciple, which in the New Testament always refers to just a follower of Jesus, right? It's not sometimes in modern parlance what we'll talk about, oh, you're a Christian or you're a real disciple. But that, in the New Testament, that's like, that's an oxymoron. Christians are disciples. I mean, that's just what it's called, what it's called all the way through the Gospels and the book of Acts. And so, so Jesus is, is helping them to understand what it means to be a true believer. And notice what he says. He says there, let's go skip down to uh, John 8, 31. We'll skip over John 2. We'll come back to it later. But he says, to the Jews who had what? Believed in him. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So he says, so the, how do you know if you're a true believer? How do, you know if you're a real, how do you know if you're truly a disciple? What we would call a Christ follower. He says, well, the way you know is by the way you respond to my teaching. Now, I want to drill down on this because it's very important. So I want to I focus in on this phrase, if you hold to my teaching, right? So let's talk about that. In the Greek, we're going to do a little Greek work here, okay? Is that okay? 
I know it's nine o'clock, but is that okay? All right. Very easy. Very easy. If you hold to, okay, the Greek word that's translated hold to is a four-letter word. Um, and it's, uh, it goes like this. I want you to write it down. Okay, so if, this, if you're sleeping, it's time to wake up. Okay, so M-E-N-O, okay, like a long O. So it's pronounced meno, meno, okay? So uh, he says, if you meno in my word, literally in the Greek, if you, for teaching it's a word, if you meno in my word, then you are a true disciple. That's how you know if you're a disciple, right? So what does it mean to meno in his word? Well, this is a very important word to Jesus, and he's going to use it again in a few chapters, and I think this will help us to understand, get the nuance of it. He's going to use it again in a very famous passage in John chapter 15. So in John chapter 15, Jesus makes his seventh and final I am statement. And he says in that passage, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so he's going to draw an analogy. He's going to say, your relationship with me is like the relationship between a grape branch to a grape vine, right? So obviously, if you cut off the branch from the vine, it can't bear fruit. It can't bear grapes. And so what, in this analogy, Jesus says that I'm the, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and if you want to bear fruit, you have to stay connected to me, all right? Now, guess what the word is for stay connected? It's meno. Right? If, you, if, you, if you want to bear fruit, you have to meno in me. And so how was that translated in John chapter 15? Well, in the old uh, King James Version, uh, some of you will remember this, that it was a translated abide. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Uh, in like more recent versions, if you remain in me. But the idea is staying connected in this organic union. We're sticking together. And so this helps us to understand what Jesus is getting at here in John 8, where he says, if you hold on to my word, if you abide in my word, sometimes it's translated, if you continue in my word, if you remain in my word, if you meno in my word. The idea is what we would describe here at Rocky Peak is if you listen and follow my word, right? Real faith, here's what I want you to get. Real faith leads to following. That true belief, being a true believer, is more than liking Jesus on Facebook. It's more than being a fan. There's a difference between a fan and a follower, And what we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, we'll talk about this more later, is that there are many fans who stop following at some point in life. There's many people who believe at one point and stop believing later on. And so Jesus here is defining for us what does it mean to be a true believer in Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? He says, you meno, you remain, you listen, and you follow my word. Now, this is very important. Because often in our country, in our culture, in evangelical world, we've defined a true believer differently, haven't we? We've often tended to focus on a single point-in-time decision 
where we prayed a prayer, we raised a hand, we went forward in a meeting. And so when we're with like at a life group or something, we may say to one another, when did you get saved? We, we may say, uh, when did you receive Jesus into your life? Uh, when did you uh, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Right? We put a lot of emphasis on this point in time decision. Now, help, now hear me, there's nothing wrong with that. All of us, when we follow Jesus, that whether we're aware of the moment we cross over the line or not, we all have to come to a point where we decide to follow Jesus, right? So there's nothing against that. But what Jesus is saying is that's not how you tell who's a true follower. You, you, you can't tell whether you're a real believer if because once upon a time you had an amazing experience with Jesus and raised your hand. You can't really tell. That, that just tells us that once upon a time you were a fan. But it doesn't really tell us whether you're a true believer. The only thing it tells us is how you respond to my word. Do you listen? Do you follow? Do you abide with? Do you continue in? And so we've seen this throughout the Gospel of John. We've seen, let me give you an example. Some of you remember back in chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000 men and their families, and they were so impressed, the crowd saw it as a fulfillment of this ancient prophecy about the great prophet that would come. And, we were, and John told us that they were so impressed, they wanted to come and force Jesus to be king, take him by force and compel him. Remember that? And then, do you remember the very next day, you know, that's the night Jesus walks on water and escapes them? And then the very next day, they catch up with him. And when they catch up with him on the far side of the lake, he says, you're following me for the wrong reason. And he begins to deliver one of his hardest hitting messages. Remember what I called it, a thinning the herd message? If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, and and you, you have no part of me. And remember, many left him. So the day before, they believed in him. The day after, they didn't. They were fans who were revealed not as followers. They were, they were fans. Often you can't tell who's a fan or a follower until it comes to whether we have to follow. Because like, fans and followers often look similar until it comes to a point in our life we have to follow. And it's going to cost us something. Uh, remember this. You may, this was a long time ago. But back in chapter 2, the very first time that Jesus went to Jerusalem for Passover, and I put the verse there on your note sheet. Let's go back to it. We, we uh, passed over earlier. But in John 2, it says that while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, this is the very first start of the gospel, many people saw the signs, these supernatural signs that he was performing, and they what? They believed in his name. So underline that. So John says they, they believed in his name. He says, but... Jesus would not entrust himself to them. And I don't know if you remember this, but I told you in the Greek, the word for believe is used in both places. What it literally says is they believed in him, but he didn't believe in them. Like he recognized that they they believed in him in the superficial sense that at that point in time, if he was running for office, they would have voted but he knew that they weren't going to follow him over the long haul. He knew that they could not be trusted. He could entrust himself to his disciples, but not to these people. Like he knew they were fans, not followers. Right? And so what we see here is Jesus is defining for us what does it mean to be a believer. And I, and I want you to think how different our country would be today if we defined what it means to be a Christian like Jesus defined it. 
One of the heartbreaks of our time is that the outside world thinks they know what it means to be a follower of Jesus because there's so many Christians proclaiming his name. But we're not following. And so they don't see the love. They don't see the sacrifice. They don't see the courage. They don't see the, the purity. They don't see the transformed lives. What they see is sort of a, a group that's maybe a, a voting block or certain political aspirations or certain, right? But they, they don't see like transformed lives. And so it's so easy. You, you know this, right? With people at your work or friends and, oh, Christians, Christians. I know they're hypocritical. They're this, they're holier than thou. You go, wait, wait a second. That's not what the Bible says a Christian is at all. Why is that the public perception? Because we bought into this false definition of what it means to be a believer. We've defined a fan as a follower. And Jesus says, no, the way you tell who's a, a, a true believer is how they respond to my word. That true or real faith leads to following. All right, number two. Hey, the second point is that real following leads to freedom. So Jesus goes on to say, uh, in John 8, there on your note sheet, to the Jews who had believed in him, he said, if you hold on to my teaching, so we get that now, if you, if you take my teaching seriously, you, you meno in my teaching, you listen and follow my teaching, you remain in, you continue with it, you hold on to it, then you're really my disciples. That's how you know. He says, and then, and I want you to circle that word then. Very key word. He says, then. You know, after you have held on to my teaching, listened and followed my teaching, then at that point in your life, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. What's going on here is that Jesus is almost giving us a spiritual uh, equation. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. But I want to point out two things. Two things that Jesus is making very clear. First, I want you to catch that Jesus says, this is why I've come to set people free. There's no way. He says, hey, if the son sets you free, you're free. Uh, This is why I've come. And you say, well, free from what? We'll talk about this more later, but... Uh, uh, right away, he says, free from sin. Anyone who s- sins is slave to sin. So he says, free from sin. So, so free from the consequences of sin. Like you and I, we're all part of this rebellious human race that's committed high treason against the king, and there's a, there's a, a death warrant out for us, right? We're, we're under judgment as a race. And this is why Jesus has come. It's back in chapter 3 that like the snake was being lifted up in the wilderness, he'll be lifted up, that everyone believes, right? He's come to make atonement. He's come to pay the price for our sins. We can be set free from the consequences of the judgment of our sin. But I want you to catch this. He's also come to set us free from the power of our sin. This magnetic pull that we all have to the dark side, that is so destructive in our lives. What, what later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will call our, our flesh, our, our fallen human nature, this magnetic pull to everything that's destructive, that he's come to set us free. So that's the first thing. Jesus has come to set us free. But then secondly, what I want you to catch is Jesus is marking out for us the path of freedom. I've come to set you free. Here's the path. And so he says that, he says that, uh, if you hold on to my word, then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And he's giving us almost a spiritual equation there. Like, like remember uh, in school, like A plus B equals C, right? And so the A, if you hold on to my word, 
You listen and follow my word. That's the A. Then, at that point in your life, you will know the truth. If you hold on to my word, you follow my word, that your eyes will be open to the truth about life. You'll see the path to life so you can make right choices, right? He said, and then that truth will set you free. So A plus B equals C. If you hold on to my teaching, you follow my teaching, that will lead to spiritual illumination in your life. You'll see the truth about life, and that will lead you to freedom. Are you with me? You following this? Okay, so what I want you to catch is that Jesus says that in the spiritual life, obedience precedes insight. In spiritual life, obedience precedes insight. Often, we want to have insight before we obey. If I could just understand, God, how life will be better, if I could understand how this will lead to freedom, then I would trust you and I would do it. And Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. You trust me first, and you follow what I tell you to do, and then trust me, it will lead to the insight that will lead to freedom. That the insight comes after the obedience, not before the obedience. Are you with me? Okay, so let's, say, let's ask this question then. So what happens if we skip the steps, the order, the sequence that Jesus lays out? What happens if we, we don't listen and follow his word because it doesn't make sense to us, and we're going to wait until it makes sense to us, and then we'll obey. Well, the whole thing breaks down, doesn't it? The whole equation breaks down. And so if we want to experience the freedom that Jesus has come to give us, that it involves a step of faith where we trust him. We trust that he loves us. We trust that he knows best. And we surrender our lives and we we abide in his word, and as we do, the lights begin to turn on. We begin to see the path that leads to life. We begin to make right choices, and that leads to freedom. Now, so what we've seen is that Jesus, uh, Jesus came to set us free. He's, he's marked the path to freedom, but it leads to an important question in our life. And so there on your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, the, the Key Question. So here's the question. Now, remember, this is a question for you, not your neighbor. Uh, it's a question, uh, it's a question uh, not to, like, raise your hand or it's not a poll. And the reason I say that is it's really important for you to be radically honest with yourself as I, as I ask this question. So you don't need to pretend. It's just you, right? Um, we're, we're not, like, going to break into small groups and share this right now. So here's the question. So the question is, are you growing in freedom? In your life, as you look at your life, uh, are you growing in freedom? You say, well, what do I mean? Well, we've seen today that Jesus has come to set us free. And this freedom is a key to this new life. I mean, all the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I've come to give you life. But what he's telling us today is in order to move into this new life, we have to be freed up from our sin, both the consequences and the power of sin. And so... You say, well, what is, Jesus has come to set us free, okay, free from what? Well, let's just talk about some of these, right? So first of all, we've talked already about consequences of our sin. We, the, the judgment that's over us is a race, that we need to be set free from that. We can't even enter into a relationship with God and receive this new life without the forgiveness that comes when we trust our life to Jesus. Right? 
But we also need to be set free from the power of sin. Like I talked about, this, this kind of magnetic pull that it kind of draws us to do things that are destructive. Some things we don't even want to do, but we find ourselves doing. But I think it's that if you take those two basic things, you can kind of tease them out into many other freedoms that Jesus has come. As you look at the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus, what this means is that like for, for Jesus has come to free us from our past. So again, I want you to think through your own life. And I want you to ask the question, to what extent are you in bondage to your past? Now, for some of you, you may say, no, not, uh, that's, not, that's not me. But my hunch is for some of us, this is a huge thing in our lives. For some of us, for example, there's been things that have done to us. Maybe sexual abuse. Maybe rape maybe physical abuse that have shaped our view of ourselves, and it's led to a deep shame. Like we're that kind of person. Somehow we are responsible. And Jesus has come to set us free from that past. For some of us here, we may have gone through uh, a man or a woman been part of that decision to abort our young child. There's a shame over our life. Very difficult to move into our future. For some reason, there's certain sins that we've committed in our, in our past. It might be sexual promiscuity. It might be that we were an abuser of physical or sexual. It might be that we were super harsh with our kids. It might be that our anger has got us into trouble. We may have physically used violence in our life against people. But whatever it is, there's a shame from our past and that Jesus has come to set us free from that because we can't move into the future when we're pulling the ball and chain of our past. We keep one step forward and then we go back. Like Jesus has come to free us from Guilt, free us from our shame. You know, Jesus has come, as we've seen in the Gospel of John, to free us from the opinions of others. That we would no longer be codependent people. That we would be people of courage, who have the courage to be who God's made us to be and to not live to please others in that negative sense, out of fear. But we, we live our life for an audience of one. He's come to set us free. Jesus has come to free us from some of our old perspectives. You think of some of the things we've gone through as as a culture recently. Maybe you come from a past of racism. It's how you were raised, and and Jesus has come to set you free from that. Maybe, Maybe that you were raised a certain way, that the way you valued your life, the way you measured your success was by the kind of job you had and how much money you make how high you rise, and you have parents that drilled that into you, and Jesus has come to set you free. It's not how I measure success where I come from. And it's not how we measure success where you're going. Right, sometimes it's the way we've done relationships that have been really destructive and have really wrought wrought havoc in our life, and Jesus, I've come to set you free from the way you do relationships because it's really dysfunctional. 
It's destroying you and it's destroying everyone around you. Maybe for some of us, there's certain addictions in our life. We're, we're addicted to drugs or alcohol. We're addicted to pornography. And Jesus says, you, you can't move into your future. I've come to set you free from that. And so the message that Jesus brings is that he's come to give us freedom. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. But the question I have for you is, are you growing in that freedom? Are you more free now than you were a year ago? Can you see the Holy Spirit working in your life and freeing you from these areas that were once binding us? You know, that freedom doesn't take place overnight, does it? It's like it's a lifelong journey, but we should be able to look at this and say, I'm getting more free. I'm getting free of my fear. I used to be in bondage to my fear, and Jesus is freeing me from my fears. And so I think we need to ask this question, are we growing in freedom at a couple different levels? For some of us here, or for those of you who are online for out in the, the patio, for, for some of us, we need to start at the basics, that, that you may be at where this young man was, who we started this, the day the story with, this young man who's just being exposed to Jesus. He's, he's hearing the teachings of Jesus, and he's, he's moved from skepticism, and he's moved all the way to speculation or openness, even curiosity. But somehow today, he's one of those men who have crossed over the line to believe in Jesus. And yet, and yet at this point, he might be more of a fan than a follower. And that may be where some of you are. That some of you have, you've, you realize that you're, being drawn, you're coming to Rocky Peak. The messages are making sense. There's something, drawn, there's something here, but you've never really had that time in your life where you've said to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to set me free. And, and I need you to come into my life. Will you come into my life and forgive me for my rebellion against my creator? Will you wash away my sin? Will you fill me with your spirit to empower me to live a new life? I, I want to move from being a fan to a follower. And that's your, that's your move today. But for others of us, that I think that probably most of us here, most of us online, we would probably self-identify as followers of Jesus. We would probably say, no, I, I really am a follower of Jesus. And so the question I have for you then is, if you are a follower of Jesus, are you growing in freedom? Are you growing in freedom of your past? Are you growing in freedom from your shame? Are you growing in freedom from your old habits, your old perspectives? Are you, are you getting free from your addictions and free from the power of sin? Are, are, you, are you free from some of your old attitudes or holding you back, the old life? Because the reality is, if we're following Jesus, we should be growing in freedom. And so the question is, if, you'd say, if you say yes, we should be able to say yes, I can look at my life and I can see this. I can see that over time he's freeing me. But the question is, if you look and say, Michael, honestly, if it's just you and me at Starbucks, and I could be just completely honest, I would say that I, I'm not. I, there was a time when it was true of me. When I first came to Jesus, it was, 
a revolutionary time. And I went through so much change so fast. But honestly, as I look back now, I feel like I'm on autopilot. I've kind of lost my vision. I've lost my, I'm the same. I'm not changing and it frustrates me. I'm still addicted to the same old sins I was five years ago. I still have the same attitudes. I still, same harshness with my wife. I still, you know, I, I'm not being transformed if I'm honest. Now here's the question. If that's true, is it possible that you are skipping the path, skipping the steps in the path of freedom that Jesus has laid out and practicing what I would call selective obedience? Jesus, I'll obey you with my finances because that makes sense to me. I'm not gonna believe you with my sexual purity or what you teach about, about sex and human sexuality and about gender. I'm not going to, that, that's too much of a struggle. No, I'm not going to, that doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm going to wait on that. I, I, I trust what you teach about forgiveness. I've experienced that worrying, but I'm not going to trust with finances, surrendering my finances. I trust you with my finances, but I'm not going to trust you with this priorities thing. Well, if, I'm, if I'm going to make it to the top of my industry, that's got to be number one. And so it's many times in our life without realizing it, we're practicing selective obedience and wondering why we're not experiencing freedom. And Jesus has spelled it out. If you meno in my word. If you hold on to my word for dear life, if you stay connected to my word like a vine to the branch, if you continue in my word, if you listen and follow my word, if you allow me to come into your life and truly surrender your whole life to me, then what happened is that you will know the truth and those things that seem so attractive right now and so hard to give up or so hard to surrender, that once you do, you're gonna be free and you're gonna look back and say, how did I ever think that? How did I ever think that? It was ruining my life. Why couldn't I see that earlier? But if we wait to obey until it all makes sense to us, we've stopped the process. We've tried to shortcut the system. We want the freedom, but we don't want to follow. And we've fallen into the trap of being a fan, but not a follower. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, these are challenging words that your son gives to us, and, and yet words of beauty, words that lead to life, words that lead to freedom. Lord, I think of your word in Galatians. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, do not be subject again to the old bondage. So, Father, we pray that today that you would be speaking to these words according to our need, that you would be highlighting any area of our life where we're practicing selective obedience and then wondering why we're not being transformed, experiencing that freedom you came to give us. We pray that even as we worship this song, God, if the if this is the first time in our life we need to ask you in to set us free, that during this song, you, we, we would just say that, Jesus, 
come and set me free. And, and I, if you do, I'll just follow you. If there's an area of our life where we need to take to the cross and die to it, that we might rise with you to a new life, that that would happen now. We pray this in Jesus' name as we worship. And everyone said, amen.